Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from Ten, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty McKeon. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Kitty Nikian. You're listening to Episode 2, and this is the story so far. The yearly Xanadu retreat starts the evening of January 2nd. Garrett Falkstein, historian, just arrived to find a collection of his favorite people engaged in body casting, cooking, singing, friendly arguments, and other less mentionable forms of civilized hedonism. After meeting the two newcomers to the retreat, he and the rest of the attendees have been summoned into the great room by Carol, the event's hostess. Carol pressed her wet hair against the sides of her head and dragged it back as she stepped up onto the coffee table. Below her, Katie sat at one end of the long couch between the coffee table and the kitchen door. She leaned over toward Kevin at the other end of the couch and commented quietly on his drawing. The other guests filed in from the kitchen like penitents at an Orphic feast, each bearing a tray filled with sausages, dippables, banyakauda, and a host of other munchables Carol didn't recognize at first glance. Adele was feeding them well already, making Carol more determined to figure out what would feed Adele's soul. She had a few ideas percolating. Carol checked the sash on her kimono to make sure both ends were proportionate past the knot, then turned her attention to the mingling guests before her. Come in, children. Sit down. Amos led the charge, dependably out front as ever, clearing the way as he swept the end table to make space for his trays and Adele's. Garrett and Sarah circled round to the second, longer couch and laid their trays out on the other end table before finding a place in the pattern to land. The family was assembled, seated, and comfortable. It was time to begin. So now that we're mostly here... Ah! The latch clicked in the front door, and she heard the heavy oak swing inward. A chill wind blew in from the entryway, the draft in the room pulling the winter air right past Carol into the fireplace. She shivered. It seems we are all here. She heard the door shut. A moment later, a frighteningly lean man peeked around the corner and scanned the room, as if he were trying to make sure he was in the right place. He looked road-worn and sallow in the yellowing light, his hemp-weave poncho covering most of him. When his eyes lit on Sarah, he broke into a smile and then blushed, almost bashful, and took a couple halting steps into the room. He set his bag next to the wall and whipped the poncho off, dropping it on top. Underneath, his black t-shirt plunged tightly into his BDU trousers, showing off every ripple and fiber from his neck to his hips. It was gorgeous. His body was all long lines. His narrow shoulders tapered to a narrower waist. The veins and muscles in his arms traced like tongue tracks from his knuckles to his shirt sleeves. A dancer's body if she'd ever seen one. Scrumptious. Sarah was right. But there'd be plenty of time for that later. Welcome home, Jeremiah. Have a seat with the rest of the class. The new arrival found his way over to Sarah, who scooted to the side of her pillow to make room for him. He knelt next to her, and she seized his head and pulled it back into her lap, then kissed him on the forehead and whispered something to him. 
He settled back against her, seeming contented. Carol continued, Now, children, you'll remember dear old Mr. Coleridge, who taught us all. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, where Ulf the sacred river ran, through caverns measureless to man, down to a sunless sea. Welcome to Xanadu. Most of you have been here before, but some of you are new. This is our sacred space. All of us, one way or another, try to live by our creativity. We bounce around between conventions, conferences. We deal with students and sourpuss audiences. This is our break. Ten days of R and R. So, there are a few rules. What? No fucking in the hallway? Sarah, trying to earn her brownie points early this year. Carol put on her best Mary Poppins as dominatrix bearing. If you don't keep quiet, dear, you won't get your spanking tonight. Sarah opened her mouth to retort, thought better of it, and closed it again. Carol turned her attention back to the group. Now, where was I? Ah, yes. The rules. This is a retreat from the world. We have no television, no cell phone coverage, no internet. There is a stereo and music library, but under no circumstances is someone to turn on a news station. No clothing is allowed in the spa. No loud music after midnight. No iPods or anything else that sticks headphones in your ears. If you want to listen to music, share it with the group. Try not to get too drunk. You'll have to clean up after yourself if you do. She looked pointedly at Kevin, who nodded attrition. No repeats of last year, then. Good. Talk about anything you want except the election. There's enough chance for cabin fever in here without people trying to kill each other over religious differences. Take care to keep your towel with you, please. Always keep track of it. I don't like bare bums directly on my upholstery. Now, on to the positives. We're here to relax and play. Not everyone here is a visual artist, but everyone here has signed a release to model if asked. We'll be doing body casting, photography, life drawing, and if we're lucky, Kevin might paint a few of us. So, booze is at the bar, condoms are in the bathroom, the spa is warm, and Adele's just made a delightful dinner for us. Have I forgotten anything? No, I think you've got it. Amos raised his glass to her. The others all nodded a general agreement. All but Gerd. Just one small thing, I fear. He leaned forward in his seat. The news has said there's a big storm coming tomorrow night. They're predicting three to four feet. Ah, yes. Thank you, dear. Anyone who needs anything out of their car might want to get it in before the storm hits, so you don't have to dig it out with a shovel. Anything else? The assembled motley crew shook their heads. Well then, I guess everything else you can think of is fair game. Behave yourselves, children. She dropped her stern demeanor. The rules were done... The retreat had begun. This was her family, more truly than any other she'd known. This was how it was supposed to be. Carol let all the warmth she'd felt since Adele first showed up at lunch bubble to the surface and out through her smile. And welcome home. Here, here. Katie raised her snifter. Let the festivities begin. Carol extended her left leg and fell forward, planting her foot between Kevin's legs and kneeling down in his lap. She grabbed his face between her palms and kissed him firmly, mm. then fell rightwards into Amos's lap. Mm. She repeated her welcome to him, then laid the rest of the way down into Katie's lap. Katie bent down, 
brushed her A-line hair out of the way and kissed her deeply. Mm. When Katie finished, Carol rolled off the couch to the right and grabbed her empty tumbler from the coffee table, stepped over Jeremiah, and padded her way out of the conversation pit and over to the bar. As Carol finished speaking, Jeremiah tried to get his emotional footing. He'd just finished speaking at a badly run rally, spent six hours on the road, fought his way through rush hour traffic, and then lain here in Sarah's lap watching a woman who could only be described as a laid-back sex goddess instruct a group of people, some of them men, twice her apparent age, like she was their fucking mother. She'd even called them all children over and over. The different rules were bouncing around in his head like ping-pong balls, none of them settling, none of them even making sense. Couldn't have heard right. Had he fallen into a nest of nudists maintained by Miss Manners? Nobody seemed to be stripping so far. Maybe he'd missed something? Maybe his mind was still back on the road. Sarah stroked his temples idly. She'd know. She was the reason he was here in the first place. He craned his neck back so he could see her face. Fucking in the hallway? Well, it's important to have some rules. You never know what might happen. She wasn't serious, was she? About the clothes thing? Completely serious. You missed it earlier. Sarah pointed towards the fireplace. Two halves of a plaster shell leaned up against the hearth. It looked like a Barbie doll-shaped mummy had been sliced in two lengthways and hollowed out. Carol had her whole body cast right here while everyone was hanging around. Naked. Jeremiah scowled incredulously. What kind of Twilight Zone had he walked into? Sarah nodded at him. And slathered in Vaseline. Now I know you're shitting me. Jeremiah relaxed his neck and shook his head, looking straight up at the ceiling. Sarah's fingers in his hair felt very soothing. Soothed wasn't something he was used to feeling in Sarah's presence. It was nice. I'd never do that, silly. She said that now. Now that she wasn't barking orders to him and the other dancers, or finagling them into extra work with talk about break times and bonuses and other daydreams. He closed his eyes and took a breath, trying to remind himself that this was supposed to be a vacation. He opened them again just in time to see Carol stepping over him, her legs parting neatly above him and letting him see straight up into her coos. When her back leg swooped forward over him, he found himself staring at the ceiling again, He followed Carol's legs with his eyes as she shuffled to the bar and refilled her drink. What the fuck? See? I told you. Sarah stopped stroking his hair. He looked back up at her only to see her gloating over him with a shit-eating grin. Jeremiah sneered at her and sat up. Carol seemed to float back across the floor to find a seat on the coffee table opposite him. She crossed one long, elegant leg over another and dangled the tumbler from the fingers of her left hand, resting its wrist on her right knee. She stared at him as she swirled the amber liquid around in the crystal. She dragged her eyes languorously over his body, sizing him up like she was deciding what kind of mount she'd like for the handsome new trophy that had come in through the door. Her gaze lingered, until she seemed to be looking through him, as the liquor continued its regular orbit of the tumbler bottom. He shuddered uncomfortably, then decided to be the bigger man. Um, hello? He straightened up and waved at her like she was catatonic. Mom, is there a problem? Carol slowly smirked, as if she had a secret. (laughs) No, no problem. Just checking for signs of intelligent life. Her voice was all smiles and warmth. Oh, this is perfect. Just fucking perfect. 
Well, I, um... He paused, trying to choose his words as neutrally as possible, and defaulted to... I'm glad to meet you, too. Yes? She laughed. At him. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Where are my manners? You left him in the plaster. Sarah leapt to his defense, which buoyed Jeremiah's mood a bit. He turned back to her to thank her somehow, but Carol's voice blew past him. You're being a brat, little one. He caught the movement out of the corner of his eye and moved to follow it. Without moving her scotch glass or any of the rest of her body, Carol had reached her right hand out to the end table and seized on something Jeremiah hadn't seen before. Long and black with a little leather strap on the end of it. A riding crop. What the hell? Jeremiah didn't have a chance to finish the thought. Sarah slid out from under him, stood halfway up, and stuck her sweats-covered ass at Carol, who snapped the crop sharply enough that it must have left a welt. Thank you, ma'am. Sarah sat back down and wiggled in her seat like a little girl, but her voice was dripping and sultry. The incongruity sent Jeremiah reeling again. You're welcome. Now, behave. Agog. Jeremiah returned his attention to Carol, whom he found leaning towards him and extending her right hand. You must be the one Sarah's been talking about all day. Jeremiah, right? I'm Carol. Pleased to meet you. Now this, he recognized. A handshake. He could cope with a handshake. He took her hand and shook it firmly. I didn't even hear about you until she invited me. I just had to make sure that... Don't worry about that. Sarah's a stickler for the secret handshake. But don't let it fool you. We're a lot more relaxed than we let on. Carol winked at him. Friendly? Flirting? Trying to make him feel comfortable? He didn't know how to take it. Maybe it was just road fatigue, especially after speaking this afternoon. He didn't do well with this amount of activity in one day. Wouldn't have guessed. He needed to move the conversation to something he understood. He looked Carol up and down for ideas, and his eyes lit on her drink. It looked like a whiskey, and he thought he'd seen her pouring scotch at the bar. He hazarded a guess and gestured to her glass. Doors? Behind him, he thought he heard a low... Uh Uh-oh. ...from Sarah. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Carol blinked aristocratically, as if trying to politely ignore a fart. The scotch. Doors? Carol raised her glass to the light and looked through it carefully, then turned a steely gaze on him. Blasphemer! Oh, no... Sarah, behind him, shifted her weight as she groaned. Jeremiah looked back at her to find her head buried in her hands, shaking ruefully. What did I... Jeremiah started. If he couldn't read the secret language, at least he could give in and ask for an explanation. But he was cut off by a voice behind him. Did I hear somebody say doers? Yes. He felt a firm, masculine hand grip him comfortingly on the shoulder. A tall, geeky-looking black man squatted down next to him and pulled him into a huddle. The thing is, Jeremiah, you don't actually want to use that word around here. It's against the rules. More rules? She didn't say anything about... Not the rules of conduct. Uh... The man winked at him, then nodded back to Carol, who was moving to a recently vacated seat at the end of the couch, next to the cushion at Sarah's back. If you ask nicely, I'm sure she'll explain. He stayed squatting, waiting for a reaction. Jeremiah could smell his cologne just a little bit. Cinnamony. He shifted his weight so he was facing Carol again, trying to ignore the spice scent and roll with the conversation. Okay. Carol, what are these rules? The rules. Aha! Well, since you asked nicely... She took a sip of her drink and pulled herself up to perfect posture, like a schoolmarm. If you're going to drink scotch, you have to follow the rules. 
The rules are as old as the highlands that the malt used to come from, as old as the tears of the moon that lit the fires under the first distilleries. Jeremiah didn't suspect he'd walked into a madhouse anymore. He knew. What had Sarah been thinking inviting him up here? They guide the palate of all who worship at the Grand Tumbler. They have frequently been confused with other rules, such as those governing who may be executed, leading to great harm among those who misapply them. To know them is to follow them, and you must be willing to open your mind to understanding. Do you really wish to know? Jeremiah shifted his weight a bit so that he'd be ready to roll to his feet and run if things got any creepier. Um, sure. Okay. Sarah touched his shoulder lightly, making him jump. That's a little vague. She was teasing him. Well, that was typical. Are you sure? He was going to roll with this, goddammit. He was going to do his damnedest right up till the moment he walked over and picked up his bag and drove home. In the morning. After he'd gotten a little rest. Okay, fine. Yes, yes, I want to know. Jesus. You're going to want to take notes. Sarah leaned forward so her head was next to his, then nodded at Carol. She gives pop quizzes. Very well. The rules for Scotch are ones you may have heard before. They are the same as the rules about women. If you wish to have one, you must select one with these qualities. She set down her tumbler on the end table next to her and started ticking off the rules on her fingers. It must be unpolluted. It must be individualistic. It must be bold. It must be as mature as you can possibly afford. And under no circumstances may it be under 12 years old. Follow these rules and you will never have an unpleasant experience, except through overindulgence. A riddle. He could do riddles. He'd read The Hobbit in high school. Carol didn't look much like Gollum, but she was creepy enough to make the analogy work. Jeremiah thought for a moment, turning the rules over in his mind to decipher them. So you're telling me... let's see... Unpolluted, like... no ice or soda, neat, straight? Neat, yes. If it was straight, then it wouldn't be the same as the rules for women. Now would it? She reached out and ran her fingers over Sarah's ear and arched an eyebrow at him to emphasize her point. Sarah purred behind him under the fleeting ministration. Okay. Let's see. Individualistic. Independent. Single, like single malt. Why not just say single or unblended? Well, a woman doesn't have to be single to be nibbleable. She just has to be available according to the rules she's chosen to live by. Sarah spoke patiently, as if she were trying to bring him up to speed without being a bitch about it. Okay, so they're into the whole hippie free love thing. Fine. The man who started this merry-go-round, what the hell was his name anyway, jumped into the fray again. And unblended. That's awfully racist, isn't it? Okay, fine. Independent. Single malt. Got it. Jeremiah clamped down on his exasperation and turned his attention back to the riddle. Bold is easy. And it has to have a distinctive flavor. Indeed. Carol nodded magnanimously. And aged 12 years or more. That's obvious, too. He wasn't quite comfortable with where this analogy seemed to be going. That part is very important. This guy must be a professor. He had that kind of arrogant prick way of explaining things. Scotch, aged less than 12 years, is harsh and doesn't have much character. It has no idea what to do with itself. <laughs> Just like girls. 
What the fuck? You people are perverted. Did these people honestly think it was okay to fuck 12-year-olds? Tut tut. Carol wagged a chiding finger at him. Deviated preverts, please. Oh, we're not really preverts. We just play them on TV. The guy obviously thought that should be comforting, but Jeremiah couldn't shake the feeling that he should just stand up and leave. He looked askance at Sarah. She'd set all these weirdos straight. Maybe not. She just smiled mischievously at him and said, If you don't like it, you'll have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. Jeremiah shook his head, trying to clear out the insanity. Fine. Whatever. Really, we're not that scary, I promise. The man still squatting next to him proffered his hand. I'm Kevin. Kevin Walden. Jeremiah cautiously took it and shook it. Jeremiah Evans. Evans? Kevin looked questioningly at Sarah. No, not even close. Jeremiah and Sarah got that all the time. They didn't look a thing alike, but working in a show together, having the same last name, everyone always thought they were either brother and sister or married. Kevin shrugged and dragged a floor pillow over, flopping his ass down in it and facing Jeremiah. The guy obviously wanted to keep talking, and so far, as irritating as he was, he was the most normal guy in the room, and he smelled like cinnamon. Jeremiah shifted his body to shut Carol out. So, Kevin, what keeps you busy? Oh, worrying about the future of humanity, trying to make it a little better, you know, the usual stuff. Worried about humanity? This was someone he could talk to. Really? It's good to meet you. You've been listening to Episode 2 of Down From 10, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Philippa Ballantyne has taken you to worlds of flesh and horror, walked you through Renaissance England and the realm of the Fae. But now she takes you somewhere no patio book has ever been. New Zealand. Step into the alternate history of Aotearoa, where magic and madness go hand in hand, where ancient power threatens to tear the world apart, where a reluctant sorceress is our last hope. Visit weatherchild.com or subscribe to iTunes. I'm Steve Rickyberg from Geek Cred, and you're listening to J. Daniel Sawyer's Down From Ten.
Welcome back. I didn't give you an after show after episode one because I had the uber nemesis in town and had to entertain him and keep him well dosed with scotch and cigars. That is episode two of Down From Ten. I just finished breaking out the scripts today, and there will be a total, once again, of 25 episodes, although there's a lot more story on the order of 15,000 words more in this book than there was in Predestination. With a lot more of it being dialogue, it should move faster, which is why I think we'll still run 25 episodes of roughly half an hour each. A lot of you have asked over the months if this is a sequel to Predestination or if it even takes place in the same universe. The answer is no. This is a standalone book originally written as a miniseries for a Canadian production company that has since closed its doors. I'll get more into the story behind Down From Ten in later after shows. But Down From Ten is a comedy in the sense that a lot of British books and shows are comedy. It's not exactly a sitcom, but there are a lot of laughs, a lot of wit and silliness for its own sake, and a lot of, well, a lot of sexual themes. But you've probably picked up on that. But it is also a drama, and a mystery, and round about the end of episode 4, the mystery really gets going. One thing it's not is a suspense thriller, although like any good mystery, there is suspense and high drama at various points in the story, the overall tone of Down From Ten is pretty much what you've sampled so far. Light, fun, and occasionally thoughtful. If you've come here looking for another predestination, or if you were bothered by the amount of sexual content in predestination, you may want to hold off until this fall for Free Will, which is, naturally, the sequel to Predestination, and has more of that kind of feel. For this book, I'm going to make the same deal with you that I did for the last book. Give me four episodes, and there will be enough here that you'll either be hooked or bored. I'd be remiss if I signed off without mentioning my cast. All of them are excellent podcasters and voice actors, and all of them have done me an extraordinary favor in committing to such a long book with such a small cast. You can find links to all their stories and podcasts at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net. Just look at the sidebar. They're all there. Please give them a listen if you don't already. They are all, to say the least talented, amazingly creative folks with voices that are very easy on the ears. Many of you are already sending in wonderful feedback, which always brightens my day. Send in comments, criticisms, attaboys, and, oh, let's see, well, it's a mystery, so I guess death threats are still appropriate, to the feedback line at 206-350-5739, and you can email feedback to me at dan at jdsawyer.net. You can follow me on Twitter, where I'm D. Sawyer, and you can find me here every week doing my thing. There are a couple of pieces of unfinished business from Predestination. One of them is that there actually is more feedback that's come in, and also the dealing in where I announce who won the What the Hell is Senator Shelley Up To contest and send off the free t-shirt. So those will be coming out once I get my, um, once I get my footing on down from 10, and there's some more special features for Predestination that'll be coming out over the summer like the preview for Free Will. And also the business about the poster for Predestination. There will actually be an order form up, probably to coincide with the patio book launch of Predestination, which hopefully will be about July 15th. 
um, where you can pre-order a full poster size version of the Predestination cover art and have that signed by me and shipped to you. You've probably already guessed that this book is not posting on Thursdays. For this one, we're going for Saturdays instead. For the summer, it just makes for a better work rhythm for me. And let's face it, I never could get the hang of Thursdays. I really hope you guys enjoy this story, different as it is. It's one that always makes me smile, and if it does the same for you, so much the better. This is an experiment. As I grow as an author, I will continue to try new genres and types of stories to see what I can do well. But I will not leave you stranded on any series I start, so fear not. This is the rest between the storms of Antithesis. Hopefully, if nothing else, you'll be able to laugh at me, if you can't laugh with me. So I'll see you next week, and until then, remember, you can make the whole world end. If you but count down from 10.